Amen. What a great story. Uh, I got to ask this morning because as we kick off in our series, Jesus Is, uh, there's a certain type of person that's here today that I want to call out in the room, okay? So uh, if you're a morning person, raise your hand today. All of our morning people, obviously you're at 930, right? Uh, You're our morning people. If you are not a morning person, raise your hand, okay? You're so honest. I love that about our church, okay? Listen, I want to speak to both sides just for a few moments as we start out uh, week four of Jesus Is. And if you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 11. There are two types of people in this room. There are people that uh, find rest very easy, and there are people who find rest very difficultly. For instance, uh, those of you in the room that are morning people, doesn't just bother you when people just stay up all night long and never go to bed, and you're asleep by 9 p.m., right? Right? And then there's a group of you in this room, uh, you're nighttime people, and you're like, what is wrong with the person that goes to bed at 8.30 p.m.? There's just something wrong with that, okay? So I want to speak to you uh, today about this idea of rest and being a morning person, and and we're not going to talk about your sleep cycle or anything like that. That's between you and God and your spouse. Uh, But I will say this to you today. I am, and I'm confessing to you today, I am a converted morning person. It is mostly the result of hitting my 40s. Yeah, someone said the other day, they said, man, I am so ready for my young children to grow up so that I can get some sleep. And I said, oh, you just wait. When you hit your 40s, you're going to want to sleep, but there's no sleep, okay? You go, why can't I sleep? I just don't understand. But in the Bible, there's a lot of passages that talk about rest, And we're going to hit one of those passages today when we talk about this idea in our Jesus Is series. And uh, I don't know about you, before I was a converted morning person, I was a nighttime person. And I was the type of person that from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m., I did my best work. I would get papers done. I would get stuff done. I would repaint our house. I would fix a car. You know, whatever it was that I could do between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., I did it. And then I did the proverbial thing that some of you do, and that is I found this incredible alarm clock that had this little button on it called snooze. Yeah. How many of you like the snooze button? I loved the snooze button. I remember because, you know, I grew up a little old school. When I got a little new school, my parents bought me an alarm clock that had this snooze button on it. And here's the thing. It would go off at some ungodly hour, like 8 a.m., right, back then? That was ungodly to me. And, uh, and I would reach over and I would hit that button. And for seven amazing minutes, I would go back to sleep. And uh, I remember many times in college, literally for two and three hours on end, I slept in seven-minute increments. <laughs> How many of you have ever done that? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Yeah, you're honest, okay. Until I got married. And then I realized that's not good because my wife, she is a born morning person. I mean, she wakes up with with flowers in her hair and, you know, I mean, she's just happy. And uh, and until I get my face with Jesus, uh, I'm not always happy in the morning. But I'll tell you that I am a converted uh, converted morning person. And today I want to talk to you about this idea of rest because we live in a very, very restless culture. 
We live in a culture full of people that, whether we realize it or not, we're always attached to devices. We're always attached to information or infotainment. We're attached to a lot of things in our lives, and, and they make us not come to a place of rest. And so today in our series, Jesus Is, I want to talk to you about the idea that Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. In Matthew chapter 11, it's one of the Gospels, and so Jesus was getting through this, this point of Scripture where he was beginning to say some very profound things to those who were following him. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said these words. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, for most people in this day and time, this statement by Jesus totally confused them. Why? Because in this day, Jesus said that he promised an easier burden and a lighter yoke. He was referencing the yokes that a farmer would place on an oxen, and it was the burden that that oxen had to bear. And so in this passage, Jesus was basically announcing this to all those who heard him. He said, I have come to make your life easier. Now, why is that so perplexing? Because this was totally opposite of their culture. You see, in their culture, they had lived under a Jewish religious system, and which was hard, and it was rigid, and it was very impossible to bear. And this system was designed by the law, and people basically related to God on the basis of the law. And the religion was about trying harder, doing more, and failing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. You see, it was the law that Moses had given them 1,500 years ago. And when Moses gave them this law... The Ten Commandments, the practices and the Vitical Law, the things that, that Moses said to them, the Jewish people began living by them, but then they did something different. They took all the laws of Moses and they began to add several hundred additional laws and nuances to the law of Moses. So not only did they have to do everything written in the Old Testament scriptures, but then they had twists and turns. It's, it's kind of like they were kind of making up their own little scoreboard a little bit, Right? So I started thinking about this. Our generation, we're not much different, right? We have things that we think are important in our lives. But what do we do? We live in a self-help generation. We want to get better, right? I was watching a commercial the other day. A guy said, in 15 minutes, you can lose 10 pounds by shaking a weight. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Ain't no weight going to shake get you 10 pounds. It just doesn't happen that way. We live in a self-help generation. We're obsessed with self-improvement. We have books, DVDs, webinars, seminars. We have people who will come to our house and push us out of the bed and throw us on a treadmill, right? Then we're obsessed by that, and we want to fix ourselves. I know many people, they go to YouTube, and they look on YouTube and say, man, if if I can learn how to do this, then my life will be better and I will, I will be more at peace with myself. So I think it's honest that when Jesus said these words to the people that were listening to him, they were perplexed. It didn't make sense. Jesus, we live under a rigid, strict, tough system. Some of you, you feel the same way. You live in America. You live in the South. 
There are certain expectations. There are certain ways that you live your life. And people look at you and they say, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. And don't go with a girl who does that, right? And that's how we kind of live our lives. So I started looking at this this week. And it took me back to a place before Matthew chapter 11. In fact, flip back to Matthew 5. The Bible calls this the Sermon on the Mount. Remember I said Jesus said this and it was very confusing to those who listen? Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Before Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, he says these words to those who were listening. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least uh, stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least of commands and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 20. This is very perplexing, right? Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, did Jesus just say that? He did. He did just say that. Jesus just said, hey, listen, I know you're trying to live by the law. I know you're trying to get it all right. I know you're trying to put all the pieces together. But I'm here to tell you that if you're not more righteous than the Pharisees, and by the way, the Pharisees were pretty good at it. I mean, you know, they were doing the self-help videos on YouTube back in those days. They were like, this is how you live, okay? That's how they were. Jesus said, listen, unless your righteousness surpasses their righteousness, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So at that point, you can hear all his followers going, wah, 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 wah. Man, I'm sunk. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to make these statements. Because what he was trying to do was help them understand that he was the fulfillment of the law. In other words, Jesus said something like this. He kept saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you, you have heard me say this, but I'm going to tell you this. Let me tell you some of the statements Jesus made to them. It's crazy. He said, you shall not murder. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you. Anyone who's angry with his brother and sister is already subject to judgment. In other words, what he said is, listen, it's not enough to not go, like, kill somebody with a gun. If you even think about killing somebody with a gun, you're wrong. Now, listen, yesterday I was out on, uh, I was out on 85 driving. For about 15 minutes, I really thought I was the angel of death. I was pointing out cars, cursing them. Curse you, Hyundai. You that swerveth in my lane, I will cutteth you off in Jesus' name. My wife was looking at me and she, her prayer life, (laughs) oh Lord, please get us home. The truth is this. Jesus said, listen, it's not enough to not pull out a gun and kill somebody. He said, hey, if you even think about killing somebody, you've already done it. You've already done it in your mind. So Jesus was saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. Let me tell you another one he said. He said, you shouldn't commit adultery. You've heard it said. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. 
He said, but I, I want to one-up one for you. He said, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in its heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm just envisioning in my mind, these guys are sitting around and they're looking at Shepard's Swimsuit Illustrated. <laughs> Woo, it's a fine camel. And Jesus says, hey, it's not enough to just stay married to your wife, but if you even look at another woman lustfully, you've already like slept with her. And they're going, oh, did he just say that? That's crazy. Let me tell you the other one he said. He said, hey, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, no, Jesus, I can't love my enemy. I mean, they did me wrong. You don't understand. So here's what had happened. They had so gotten into the law and so missed the point of who Jesus was that they began to pull the parts of the law to try to live by. And I want to make this statement to you today. If we choose to live by the law, we can't just pick and choose the parts. Jesus was trying to show them their own inconsistencies. Jesus was trying to help them understand that they were trying to redefine the scorecard that he came to fulfill. In business, there's a term called cooking the books. Some of you who are business people know what that means. That means that you are trying to adjust the books to make things look good even when they're not good. That's what they were doing. They were trying to cook the books spiritually. They're saying, hey, we're going to keep moving the goalpost around. We're going to keep changing the scorecard because we can't fulfill it in the first place. So let's keep adding things to it in the hopes that we will get it right. And you know what's true? You and I, we do the same thing. We try to live our lives in such a way that we want people to think we have it all together. People to think that, you know, we, we know all the answers in life. And the truth is we don't. The bottom line is this, they had missed the point of the law. So if you have a pen, I want you to write this statement down. Self-righteousness is one of the greatest hindrances to our relationship with God. Self-righteousness is one of the greatest hindrances to our relationship with God. Why? Because we miss the point. Jesus wanted them to come to the end of themselves so they could discover the grace that came only in him. Jesus is the point. So how many of you ever heard this statement? The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Have you ever heard that statement before? Growing up in Oklahoma, I used to hear that statement a lot. And I remember business leaders making that statement and understanding, okay, there must be the main thing. And whatever the main thing is, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. And whatever is not the main thing should not be the main thing. Because if I attempt to take the main thing and try to make it the main thing, it's no longer the main thing. Some of you go, oh man, he has had way too much coffee. Yes, thank you, Java. Thank you, thank you. But I'll tell you this, Jesus was the main thing. It was not their attempt to try to fulfill the law. If our attempt is to not sin, we miss the point. Jesus is the point. You see, I, over the last 25 years, have met a lot of very angry, distraught Christians. They're mad because they can't sin <laughs> and get away with it. It's crazy. I mean, I'm just trying, I'm white knuckling, I'm going to try this thing, I'm going to love God with all my heart. Really? How's that working for you, buddy? 
Your family really is blessed by your life that way. The truth is, they're missing the point. For Israel, the law was never meant to be the point. It was about pointing people to Jesus. Even Jesus himself in John 5.39 made this statement. Listen to what he said. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said. You're missing the point. You think it's about that. It's about me. It's about me. You see, being a Christian is not about being good. It's about a relationship. It's about grace, and it's about Jesus. Jesus is the point. That's where our true rest comes from. You see, we will never be at rest as long as we are carrying the burden of trying to please God by our own works. Some of you grew up in a faith or a church where it was all about your good works. Jesus saw this in these people and he looked at them in Matthew 11 and he said, guys, you're missing the point. I came to fulfill the law. We will never be at rest until we're stopped trying to please God by our good works. So I started really thinking about that this week and thought, how is it we do that? How do we get in our minds this idea that somehow we're going to earn God's love and righteousness by trying to do it ourselves? And I wrote down this thought. If the focus of your relationship with God is your sin management, then you are apt to leave church more obsessed with yourself. Wow, did you hear that? If the focus of your relationship with God is your own sin management, then you're apt to leave church more obsessed with yourself. And God doesn't want that for you. And God doesn't want that for me. The truth is, when you hear the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for you and I, you get obsessed with Jesus, not your own sin. You see, it's kind of like this. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so... I didn't grow up learning the ways of God. So for me, to live out my sin nature was very, very easy. I had no problem going to parties. I had no problem going places I shouldn't go. I mean, I was bent that way. And, and I wasn't bothered by what other people thought because I was just doing what was natural to me. But I want you to know, when I gave my life to Christ at age 17, something changed in me. It was no longer about focusing on my sin. It was about focusing on the fact that I was obsessed with Jesus. I tell you, Jesus came to set us free. The crazy thing is we live in a very sick culture. You see, self-inflicted punishment in the name of religion feels good to people in a sick sort of way. You ever thought about that? Self-inflicted punishment in the name of religion. I must punish myself for my sin. And God's up there going, whoa. It's almost like you come and you say, hey, I'm here today, and I want to write a check again for my sin. So we pull out the pen of our life, and we start saying, I'm going to write it again, and I'm going to tear it out, and I'm going to stick it in the plate. And, 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 and what happens is when we continue to try to write the check for our own sin... We are no longer in debt to grace. Grace means you and I didn't earn it, but God gave it freely. Amen? 
You and I didn't do anything to deserve it. We don't deserve it. And yet, the Bible says he gave it so freely. So, why do we insist in paying for what Jesus has already purchased? You ever thought about that? I've thought about that a lot this week. Why do we insist to pay for what Jesus has already purchased? He's already done it. So here's the thought today. Jesus fulfills the law for us. He does. When he died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. There is no act two. (laughs) There is no addendum to the addendum to the addendum. Jesus came and when he died and he, he died on the cross for our sins, he did it to fulfill the law for us. What's cool about that is this. When we place our faith in him, we are made completely righteous before him. There's that word, righteous. Okay? Some of you, if you're from the 80s, that term is very familiar. You would look at a girl and say, she is so righteous. <laughs> My car is so righteous. What it means is to be in complete right standing with God. Listen to this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I love it. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what we are. Look at your neighbor and say, you are righteous if you know Jesus. Say it right now. You are righteous. If you have given your life to Christ, you are righteous. Some of you go, I knew I was. I knew I was. I've been telling my spouse that for years. Baby, you married a righteous man. The truth is, Jesus already did it. I will never be more righteous than I am today if I know Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the point, not me. So here's one that's really going to perplex some of you. Proverbs 24, 16. I found this verse. (laughs) This one lit me up. It says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Uh Uh-oh, the righteous fall. The righteous fall down. Righteous people fall. It says even though they fall seven times, they fall down. And yet they're still righteous. Why? Because we don't get the say in who's righteous God does. We don't get the say. But in Jesus, because he fulfilled the law... We are completely righteous. In fact, I want you to get this. Because of Jesus, we are righteous enough to walk into heaven and ask for whatever we need. Hebrews 4.16, listen to what it says. It says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Man, that's powerful. Although I fall down seven times, God has declared me righteous And because of that, I can go to God's throne with confidence and receive mercy. That'll change your life. And you know what else that will do? That will set you free. That will set you free. So let's go back to the beginning as we close today. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. I love this. This is an incredible passage. If you don't hear anything else I said today, I want you to hear these words. 
Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. He goes all the way to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I love this. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'm going to break it down real quick. You ready? Jesus said, come to him. He's the point. You're not the point. Your sin is not the point. Your attempts to live a Christian life is not the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus said, come to me. It is an open invitation. He is inviting you. He is, invi- he is evoking you to say, come to me. Imagine, he saw all of their attempts, and he still said, hey, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, listen to this real quick. Four quick things I want us to see. Number one, he says, take my yoke upon you. Back in those days, they would take two oxen, and they would stick them in a yoke around their neck, and they did so so that the oxen wouldn't chafe against each other, but there was another reason why they did it. Because the oxen that was on the inside was going to lead and guide and give purpose to the one who was on the outside. Listen, Jesus, when he looked in the scripture and said, take my yoke upon you, what he was saying is, listen, you don't have to do this alone. I want you to yoke yourself with me, and I'm going to be on the inside pulling you, and I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to give you a purpose. Take my yoke upon you. And then he says, learn from me. Back in those days, the the rabbi would teach the younger children in the Jewish culture, and they would literally spend hours learning and being taught under somebody. Jesus said, I want you to get in this yoke with me, and then I'm going to teach you. I want you to walk with me. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm not your sin management coach. I'm your savior. And I came to set you free. I want you to learn from me. Why? Because he says this. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? There's a lot of adjectives that describe who Jesus is. Jesus is exactly who the scripture says he is. He is gentle and humble in heart. And I love this last part. You will find rest for your souls. That one phrase alone to our culture means everything. I was walking through the mall yesterday looking at people. I'm a people watcher. Seeing people talk, listen, purchase, do things, look at their life. And I just said to myself, How many of these people have rest for their soul? That's what Jesus came for. He's the point. So I kind of thought of it this way. How many of you guys have ever been in a mall and you walked in and the first thing that you have to do because you're directionally challenged is you go to this big, huge marquee to say this question, where am I? Or if you're like me, when you go somewhere in a city, you pull out a map of a city And you begin to ask yourself the question, look at this illustration, where am I? 
I mean, that's my life, right? I got soccer practice on Thursday, got work Monday through Friday, got bills to pay, got all that. For some of you, that represents your life and my life. And you're trying to figure it out. And you're tired. I mean, it's May, right? Some of us are exhausted. We've already been to so many award ceremonies. Graduation upon graduation. <laughs> I mean, my wife and I, we're in a whole new season of our life. Our son just graduated from high school. That's a whole new season of our life. So our life sometimes feels just like that. But I don't know about you, when I go to a roadmap or I go to a place in the mall, one of the things that changes my heart and my perspective is when I see a nice little red dot that says what? You are here. Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus is the point. He's not the outside point. He is the point. That's what he was saying. He said, listen, you're tired. You guys are worn out. You've been living according to all this stuff. Jesus said, I'm the point. You know what's crazy? Everything flows from the point, not to the point. I started thinking about that. If you know where the center of something is, everything flows from the center. Jesus says to you and I today, I'm the point. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together today? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you today, is Jesus the point of your life? I didn't ask you for religion or good works or your attempt to live a Christian life was the point. Listen, Jesus is very clear. He has invited you and I to come. It is an open invitation. And he is the center and he is the point. Can you honestly say, Sean, there's been a time, a place in my life where I've come to the decision that I know that I'm a sinner, I know I'm lost. I mean, I've done bad things, right? We all have. But that I realize that Jesus died for my sin and I've placed all my faith and trust in him. Not myself, not religion, not good works, but in him. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law so that you could have righteousness and I am the point. Listen, if you've never done that today, I want to invite you in this moment to pray with me and to ask Jesus to come into your heart. The Bible says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means he's waiting for you. It's an open invitation. And if that's you here today and you want to give your life to Christ, would you pray these words with me? Just say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I know that you love me. Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross. And today, I turn from my sin and I turn my life over to you. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin and be my Savior and be my Lord. Right now, if you're here in this room and for the very first time you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want to welcome you to the family of God. 
The Bible says the most amazing thing just happened to you. For the first time in your life, God declared you completely righteous. Why? Because he no longer sees you through your sin. He sees you through his son. And you are completely righteous in him. You say, well, does that mean I'll still struggle with sin? Yeah, as long as you're here on earth, you're going to have an old sin nature. But the truth is, the Bible says you're a new creature in Christ Jesus as of right now. I mean, he's, he's going to give you a new nature. He's going to change you from the inside out. That's what he did to me. So today, if you prayed that prayer and for the very first time you gave your life to Christ, I want to say welcome. Welcome. We're so excited for you. If there's a second group I want to talk to real quickly, there's a lot of tired Christians in this room. You're tired of trying to get it all in order. And you're like, Sean, I hear you, but man, it's just so much easier for me to want to pull out my checkbook and write a payment for my own sin. Stop. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to set you free of that. And he really didn't mean those words. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I want you today to rest in the finished work of Jesus, not yourself. Why? Because he's the point. Not you and I, not our sin. He is the point. Father, I thank you today for every single person that's here. I pray, God, that you would let these words resonate in their heart. God, I thank you today that there are maybe two, there may be 16 who for the very first time called on your name. God, I pray you give them courage to tell a friend and to let them know, hey, today I gave my life to Christ. And I pray they'll be bold about it. In Jesus' name, amen.